We're in a series uh, called Journey to the Cross. We're following Jesus on his journey to Jerusalem to suffer and die for our sins. Uh, We're doing this uh, in light of Easter, and what Jesus does on this journey is every step of the way, he teaches his disciples and us what it means to follow him, what it looks like to be one of his disciples, especially in light of his suffering and death. And so uh, over the last few weeks, we saw what, it, what uh, uh, um, greatness means in light of following him and his suffering and death. Uh, we learned what faith is all about uh, in light of his suffering and death. And today we're going to talk about wealth. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, how to relate to our money and possessions, especially in light of his suffering and death. How to relate to, to money and, and wealth uh, in light of being a follower of Jesus. Now, I know that as soon as I mention the word money, uh, many of us are, are becoming very uncomfortable. You know, we're squirming in our seats. And it's because, you know, and I, and I feel it too, uh, it's very uncomfortable, especially in the church, for a pastor to talk about money. And, uh, you know, maybe you're new to Christianity, and this is one of the reasons why you left faith in the first place. You know, pastors, churches, they're always talking about money and begging and asking for money. And this is a problem for you. And it's one of the reasons why we as a church, believe it or not, don't talk about money very often. Uh, We don't pass the plate. It's because we don't want to cooperate the impression that God is after your money, that God just wants your money. But for all of our squeamishness, uh, Jesus feels perfectly comfortable talking very directly and drastically about wealth. In fact, in the New Testament, as you read it, Jesus talks more about money than any other subject except for the kingdom of God. So, so more, more than sex, more than prayer, more than fasting, Jesus talks about money. He talks about it all the time, and he talks about it very directly. Now, why does Jesus do this? It's because Jesus knows that there's a danger to wealth. There is a toxicity to money and possessions. That's illustrated perfectly in this story. Because in the story that we're going to look at this morning, Jesus comes into count, into contact with uh, the first century equivalent uh, of a young professional, a young Ivy League professional who's a rich, young ruler, and a man who had a lot of money. And Jesus talks to him very directly and drastically about his money. And he, this man begins to realize something in that moment. He realizes that he doesn't have his money, but his money has him. Uh, he's not the master of his money, but his money is mastering him. And in that moment, he gets squirmish, he gets uncomfortable, and he walks away. And he misses out on an opportunity of a lifetime to follow Jesus. And so as we look at the story, we're going to see the danger that wealth carries, especially in light of the cross. Now, uh, one caveat before we get into it. I know that many of us, as soon as we bring up wealth, you're thinking, you know, you know Jesus is talking to a wealthy man about his wealth, and you're thinking, whew, he's not talking to me. <laughs> get him, Jesus, right? Stick it to the wealthy guy. You know, we think, yeah, Jesus isn't talking to me, but I want you to consider this. If you make over 25000 a year, you are in the top 10% of wealth earners in the world. And so you are somebody's rich young ruler. You are somebody's Bill Gates. You are somebody's Ivy League professional that is wanting to follow Jesus. And I think what Jesus says to us is very, it's very apropos to us affluent Americans. 
And so are we, are we ready to get into this? Can we do this? Uh, you can leave now if you want, but I'll have you know that when I start talking, we're going to lock the doors. <laughs> so uh, Jesus is going to say uh, three things here in the passage. Uh, number one, he's going to talk about the surprising demand of following Jesus, of following him. And then second of all, he's going to talk about the danger of money to this demand. And then finally, how we can uh, obey it, how we can overcome the danger and obey what Jesus asks us to do here. So the demand, the danger, and how we can obey what Jesus asks. Three things, they're all right here in uh, Mark chapter 10. So let's uh, begin in verse 17. The surprising demand. And Jesus begins, and, and, and as he was setting out on his journey, remember he's on the journey to the cross, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, and do not defraud your neighbor, honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I love that. He loved him. And he, said, he gave the drastic command, uh, You lack one thing. Go, sell all you have, and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And so notice we see a man uh, who, who runs up to Jesus. And this is a man who's incredibly wealthy. He's got status. He's, got, um, he's a ruler. And he's achieved everything in life. He's got, you know, this is a man who's material wealthy. He's socially wealthy. Uh, he is uh, financially wealthy. He's got it all. But notice he senses that he lacks something. You know, he's, this, he looks Jesus up here. He comes to Jesus because in spite of all of his wealth, in spite of all of his money, in spite of all of his achievements, this man still senses that there is a, there's something missing. There's a missing dimension to his life, and he wants to figure out what it is. And so he thinks, you know, maybe this wise teacher Jesus uh, knows what it is that I'm missing here to, in order to find eternal life. And notice he asks Jesus a question. He runs up and he asks him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now notice he asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now you already know there's something wrong here. Now here's a man who knows what it's like to achieve. You know, he's achieved money, he's achieved status, he's achieved uh, morality even, it says later on in the passage, and now he wants to achieve spirituality. And so he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what must I do? Right? Tell me, I want to work the system here. I want to cl climb the ladder. You know, tell me what to do, anything at all. I'll do it better than anybody else. What must I do to inherit eternal life here? And notice the way Jesus responds to him. Now, he responds to him differently than I would have. I would have looked at this man and thought, here's a wealthy guy. He's got leadership gifts. Welcome to the team. <laughs> you know, come on. We could uh, use a little money here, you know, Maybe. But Jesus doesn't do that. Uh, notice what Jesus does here. He looks at him and he says something that probably surprises this guy. He responds, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. So notice what Jesus does here. He sort of takes the man off guard and he, asks, he says, why do you call me good? 
You know, he, he does what Jesus always does. He, he doesn't answer the question, but he answers the question with, with the unanswered question, or with the unasked question, the question that should have been asked. Why do you call me good? You see, Jesus wants to point this man to his real identity. He's always doing this throughout the Gospel of Mark. Who do you say that I am? Do you understand who I am? I'm not just a good teacher. I'm something far more than that. So he says, why do you call me good? And of course, there's probably a pause here, and the man just thinking, ah, I knew it. They told me he would do this. They told me he would do this. That he, they told me that he would never answer my question or he'd do something weird, and here it is. Why do you call me good? And notice Jesus goes on here. And he says in verse 19, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he answered Jesus, Teacher, I've, done all of these thing, I've kept all of these things from my youth. Now what is Jesus doing here? Jesus wants to get him in touch with the real demand of eternal life. Because eternal, eternal life is demanding. It is extremely costly. There's an ultimatum involved. And notice what Jesus does here. He presents the man the commandments. And he, and he throws out the commandments. But notice he leaves something out here. He leaves out some of the commandments. What does he leave out? He leaves out the first three, which have to do with centering and focusing your life around God. And he leaves out the tenth commandment, the last commandment, which is what? The prohibition against covetousness. So he's trying to get this man to understand what's going on in his life, to see himself as he is, to expose what's going on in his heart. And the man plays right into it. He says, teacher, I've done all of these things since my youth. And then Jesus throws out this surprising, shocking uh, request. He says, well, one thing you lack in verse 21. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. Now, what is he telling this man? He's saying, look, you don't have a morality problem, necessarily. You don't have a resume problem. Your resume is perfect. You've got a worship problem. The problem is not with your resume. The problem with is, is what's going on in your heart. Because here's what Jesus knows about this man, and here's what he knows about us. Is there is always something in our heart. There's always something deeply rooted inside us that competes for our allegiance. You see, what, what God wants from us more than anything else is absolute and complete loyalty. What does he want? He wants your love. He wants your trust. He wants your devotion. God wants absolute loyalty. He wants to be your God. And yet Jesus knows something about us and about this man. There is always something in the human heart. There are always other things that are competing for our allegiance. And if we're going to follow him, what Jesus says is, I want you to transfer your trust. I want you to uproot your allegiance from that old thing and I want you to give your allegiance and your devotion and your everything to me instead. This is the demand. This is why Jesus says this shocking statement. What he's doing here is he's showing this man, look, you are, your life, you're trusting in money. You're worshiping money. And if you're going to follow me, what I demand is your worship. I don't just want you to add another thing on your resume or get a little bit more moral. I want to be your life. I want you to give your absolute allegiance to me. 
Uh, C.S. Lewis puts it like this. It's going to come up on the screen what he says. Uh, I think he captures what Jesus is saying perfectly. Jesus says, give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time or so much of your talents and money and so much of your work. I want you. No half measures will do. I don't want only to prune a branch here or a branch there. Rather, I want the whole tree out. Hand it over to me, the whole outfit, all your desires, all your wants and wishes and dreams. Turn all of them over, or turn all of them over to me. Give yourself to me, and I will make of you a new self. And so Jesus gives this man an ultimatum, and he gives all of us the ultimatum. The ultimate choice. There's an ultimate choice to make to follow Jesus. And it's the choice that involves worship. And when Jesus says, sell all of you you have, he's saying, man, I don't just want some of what you have, your morality. I want you. I want your worship. I want your loyalty. In other words, what Bob Dylan says is you got to serve somebody. And it might be the devil, and it might be the Lord. But in order to follow Jesus, it involves an ultimate choice. It's a choice that involves your allegiance. And that's what Jesus presents to this man. It's all or nothing. It's mere money. Choose which one you want. And notice the way the man responds. He went away sad, verse 22, for he had great possessions. Now we're going to move on to the second point because this teaches us about the ultimate demand of discipleship, but it teaches us something very specific about that ultimate demand. Because Jesus is going to narrow in on the topic of money to show us how it relates to this decision. In verse 23, here's the lesson. And Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier, listen, in verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus, he turns the discussion specifically to money. And he says, listen, how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, a lot of uh, uh, commentators soften this and they say, you know, the the, the needle gate was a gate in Jerusalem, and a camel, if he wanted to get through it or it wanted to get through it, had to take off its bags, get on its knees, and climb under the gate. But there's no such gate in Jerusalem. Uh, the commentators are trying to soften what Jesus says here. What he's saying is that it is hard for anybody who has wealth to enter the kingdom of God. What Jesus is saying here is that there is a specific danger to wealth in regards to following him. You see, there's, com- there's competing demands, right? To follow Jesus, you've got to choose between this idol that's competing for your heart. And there is nothing, this is what Jesus is saying, there's nothing that competes for your heart more than the pursuit and management of wealth. There's nothing that competes for your loyalty. There's nothing that competes for your love and your devotion like money. The pursuit and management of a lifestyle. There's nothing like wealth to compete with what God wants for you. 
Now what Jesus is saying is that it's not, that it's not, he's not saying it's wrong to have wealth. And he's not saying that being a disciple and being affluent are mutually exclusive. In fact, you look through the Bible, there are many wealthy people. You know, Job was wealthy, and granted God took all of his wealth away, but at the end of his life, God gave it all back to him, more, and more so. Uh, Joseph was a man of great wealth. He was the second greatest man and greatest wealthy, the wealthiest man in all of Egypt. Godly he was, but he was also very wealthy. And there's actually a man in the Bible, his name is Joseph of Arimathea, who's described as both wealthy and a disciple. He was the man who, who begged for Jesus' body and purchased a tomb where Jesus was buried. And so he, Jesus isn't saying that you can't have wealth and be a disciple, or you can't be affluent and follow Jesus. He's not saying that, that wealth is not a great blessing. Wealth is a great blessing. Uh, you know, I've got a house, I own a house, and I thank God for it. It's a blessing from God. But what he is saying, that despite all of wealth's uh, blessings, and despite that you can be affluent and be a disciple, and you could use your wealth uh, to be a disciple and to, you know, take care of people and things like that, there is a particular toxicity to wealth. Wealth carries with it a very specific danger. There's nothing that competes for your heart and mind more than the pursuit and management of a lifestyle. More than the pursuit and management of wealth and possessions. Uh, one commentator puts it like this. The particular danger of confronting the rich man lies in the false sense of security which wealth creates and in the temptation to trust in material resources and personal power. So, so, so here's, what, here's the danger that wealth poses. Wealth easily becomes a God substitute. You know, God wants you to, he wants you to look to him for security, but so often your bank account becomes your, becomes your security. You look to your money to make you feel safe. But listen, only God can do that. Only God can protect you from the things that really threaten your life. Money can't do that. Uh, we, we look to money to show us our identity. Right? God wants to be our identity, but we use money to tell us that we're special, that we're worth something, that we're important. You see, we look to money to save us, to protect us. Wealth is a very easy God substitute. And so Jesus says, listen, be careful. There's a danger to money. There's a toxicity to it. In fact, there was a study done a few years ago, and it was uh, recorded in a, an article in the Atlantic. It was written by uh, a man named Alan Wolf. And it was called, And the Winner Is. And what he did is he, he looked at uh, nations and the wealth of nations. And what he did is he compared uh, religion and wealth as it related to each other in nations. And what he found was that when wealth went up in a country, religious fervor went down. And when, when wealth went down, religious fervor went up. And he ends his, his little study by saying this, intellectual fashions are fickle and the idea of inevitable secularization has fallen out of favor with many scholars and journalists. Still, it's most basic tenet that material progress will slowly erode religious fervor appears unassailable. And then he says this, the pattern is hard to miss. When God and mammon collide, mammon usually wins. And so Jesus is saying, listen, diagnose your, your life. There is a danger to wealth and possessions. There is nothing that grabs your heart and competes for your affections 
to God like money. There's a danger here is what Jesus is trying to get at. And notice, look at this man. Look what it did to him. Here he had the opportunity of a lifetime. Jesus says, listen, just follow me. I want you to follow me. I want, I want you to be one of my disciples. I want you to be in my inner circle. I want you to be part of this. And the man looked at his, Jesus, and he looked at his wealth, and he said no to Jesus. Why? He had, it says, great possessions. He could have been part of the inner circle. He, put, he could have been a disciple. It would have been James, John, and, you know, Fred. I don't know. Maybe that was his name. I don't know. But the man said no. Why? Money had his heart, and money gets our hearts. There's nothing that competes for your affections and your desires more than, than wealth and possessions, a pursuit of a lifestyle. Now, I want to make this personal because I know that many of you, I, I can see it right now. You're looking at, at, you're looking at this and you're saying, well, this man had a problem. I don't have that problem. And I always said this to myself. You know, my problem is not money, right? There's a lot of sins that, I, that, I, that bother me. But listen, money's not my gig. Look at my car, you know? <laughs> Look at my car. I drive a 1996 uh, rusty maroon Toyota Camry. But the other day, I was driving the Toyota Camry. And, uh, and it, uh, we stopped in my driveway, and the car wouldn't start again. And I realized what was going on. It was my battery. The little uh, hookers on the batteries were loose. And so uh, what I had to do from that, from, this happened about a month ago, but I, if I opened up the hood and I started to turn the little hooker things, the car would start. Is that what they're called, hooker things? I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. Anybody know what they're called? Yeah, okay. So this is what I was doing, and finally the car wouldn't start at all. And so I drove it down to the, uh, the, the auto place down here on Main Street, and I got the car fixed. And I was so excited that it was fixed. I just started the car, and it started, and it was awesome, and I was driving it all over town. I even cleaned it on the inside. You know, I just cleaned it spick and span. It just looked amazing. I was feeling so good one night as I was driving into my driveway, parked the car, and I was walking out, and I saw my neighbor drive home in this brand spanking new white 4x4 truck. And this thing was like twice the size of me. It was massive. And he drove it into his driveway. And he said, Brent, come over here and check out my new truck. And I was like, oh, okay, you know. So I went over there, and I was looking at it, and I found that in my heart, I started to feel a little bit, was it envious? Was that what it was of this man? I started thinking, why? Okay, so he gets fined, whatever, you know. And he says, well, get in the car. And so I got in the car, and I was sitting in the leather seat. And then he said, Brent, check this out. Check it out. It starts from my phone. He started the car from his phone. He turned on the lights from his phone. And I remember sitting in the driver's seat as he had started the car with his phone, looking at the maroon Toyota. <laughs> and thinking, God, why him? Why can't I? I, I, I? I need this. I need this. So let's take an offering. Can we do that? <laughs> I need this is what I thought. I need it. And we're studying this man, and what, what Jesus says is be careful. Oh, you don't think you have, you've got a problem, but there's nothing that competes for your affections and mine. Like the pursuit and management of wealth and possessions. There's nothing that gets you faster 
There's nothing that's more, that grabs a more power. There's not another God in this world that grabs hold of your life, life quite like money. And I saw it again as the other night I was watching uh, surfing on the internet, which I do sometimes. And there's, uh, uh, when we're, I was watching surfing, they had this commercial of, uh, is for uh, Corona Extra. And these commercials, this, it had these beautiful people down in Mexico. And they're in this boat on crystal clear blue water. And they're catching fish, and they're jumping in the water, and then they take the boat, they slide the boat up on the beach, and they make a fire there on the beach, and they start cooking the fish fresh cut and drinking the Corona. And I remember thinking, I need that. <laughs> Why am I in Batesville? Is there a church in Mexico on the beach that I could apply for? But listen, there's nothing that competes to the call of God on your life. There's nothing that competes for your heart and your affections and your loyalty than wealth and possessions, what you have or maybe what you wish you had. And so Jesus says, be careful. It's not that I don't love this man. I I love this man. Look, he looked at him. He loved him. It's not that I wanted him to go away. Oh, I wanted him to come and I wanted him to follow. And there was so much that I wanted to give this man. But he had great wealth. And he said no. And he walked away sad. What are you saying no to today? Because of money. What today is keeping you from saying yes to Jesus? Because of your pursuit of a lifestyle. Jesus says, I want your heart, I want your loyalty. I don't just want some morality or a good resume. It's not like becoming a Christian is getting up one more rung on that ladder. I want your heart. I want everything you have to give. Give it to me. Come and follow. What is competing for your heart? What what in your life today are you saying no to because of perhaps wealth and possessions? So this is what Jesus wants to get at here with with this teaching and and this man. He goes away sad. But then notice... uh, you know, we might be asking, well, how do we make sure that we, this doesn't happen to us? How do we make sure that we don't say no to Jesus? How do we make sure that we don't walk away sad? How do we make sure that we don't, you know, look at this ultimatum and choose the wrong thing? How do we follow Jesus and say no to wealth and possessions? Well, Jesus here says, uh, let me tell you the good news. It's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible. They said, who could be saved then? If this guy can't be saved, I mean, we know our weakness, and Jesus says it's impossible. But then he goes on, and notice that and the disciples were amazed, and um, he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And then it says in verse 28, And Peter began, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now and then in this time, in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with, with persecutions, I love he adds that in there, in the age to come, to come eternal, to get eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. So Jesus says, look, you're always gonna say no to this demand. 
until you understand the treasure that's involved with me and following me. I love it in the passage where it says that Jesus loved this man. You know, he looks at this man, he knows what he's going to say. He knows he's going to walk away. He knows he's going to say no. He knows that he just wants to manage the system and, and use Jesus to get what he wants. And yet Jesus still looks at him and loves him. And really, it's, it's, it's not until you understand the depth of love that Christ has for you that you are willing to give it all away. In other words, the necessary condition to give up your life is understanding the depth of love that Jesus has for you. How do we know that Jesus loves us? Well, listen, where, what, the, Jesus is on the journey to the cross, Jesus is on a journey to the cross. Why is he on the journey to the cross? He is going straight to that cross to give everything away. He's selling all that he has. Why? To get you and to get me. And the cross, the, the death of Jesus in the Bible is always, at least many, many times, is many times understood in economic terms. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, it says this, For you know the graces of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus gave everything he had for you and for me. And he stands with his arms open. And he says, will you say no to me? I am calling you to loyalty. I am calling you to devotion. I am calling you to follow me. All you got to do is give up everything you have and lose your life and give me the control and give me the reins. And you will have eternal life, which in the Bible is, is not a place or a destination, but is a relationship with the living God based upon trust. Uh, last summer, I was teaching my boys how to swim. And all of them learned, except for Jude. Jude is my nervous one. And Jude, I remember, he was standing on the edge of the pool. And it, in order to learn how to swim, I make them jump off into my arms. And Jude was looking at me, going, and he'd get real close, and he'd go, ah. And he was, as he was looking at me, I know what was going on in his brain. It was a wager. Is dad competent? <laughs> Does dad love me? Maybe I'm the, the black sheep he wants to drown me. And it wasn't until he could be convinced of my competence and my love that he was willing to jump off. And Jesus says, this is discipleship on the way to the cross. You've got to give, get, get off your, your previous place of security and safety. You've got to abandon your God. For this guy, it was money. And he needed to jump off into the arms of Christ. He is competent and he loves you. Now, there's only one command in the passage. And the one command is give. And I think it's because one of the ways that you show your ultimate devotion to Christ is to sometimes let go of that money. And so maybe this is the application for you today. And I'm not, seriously, I'm not asking for it. You know, I know I've got a crappy car. Oh, I shouldn't say that, I'm sorry. I am sorry. 
Listen, Jesus doesn't even ask for the guy's money. He says, sell it and give it to that guy, to the poor. And maybe that's what you need to go and do this week, is be a little bit more promiscuous with your money and show Jesus, my life is yours. Money is not my master. I am a follower. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this passage, which is super uncomfortable and we pray, God, uh, Lord, as, as your spirit moves among us and, and puts your finger on, on the ways that we are pursuing uh, wealth and possessions, that we are pursuing a lifestyle instead of you. Lord, I pray that you'd show us, Lord, help us to, to know where we need to say yes to you, uh, where, where we need to say no to our, our gods, Lord. Help us, Lord, to give ourselves away into your loving arms to be your disciples. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Gracias.